Would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, please? Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning to read at verse 4. Chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Or Jehovah, Yahweh, our Elohim, is one Yahweh. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggedest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. And when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. He shall not go after other gods of, God, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is jealous, is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee. And destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to settle us now. Settle our hearts, settle us in our seats, settle our minds, and speak to us, every one of us. Have your way in this place, and have your way among us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak this morning, and will probably take this morning and next Sunday morning, on the title, The Aspects of Love. When we mention love, you know, sometimes we can say love is, uh, in the year 2015, love can be something that's nearly sickening because it's not true love, that's why. It's not real love. Real love isn't something that's here today and gone tomorrow. Real love isn't something that's uh, a fleeting thought and then lets you down the next moment it isn't a, a springing well of emotion for an hour, a day, or a week, or a month. But love is something that's birthed in the heart. Love is something that's kept in the heart. Love is something that's welded to the being. And love sees through many things. And we want to look at aspects of love this morning. The definition of the word aspect is simply this. Listen, a distinct feature or an element of something. A characteristic to be considered, 
a visual precept, i.e. you go into a park and uh, the best aspect of the park was the blooming flowers. And aspect also is described as it speaks of the act of looking or gazing at something. It's the way something appears when viewed from a particular direction. It's the way something appears when viewed from a particular direction. The object that we will look at is love, biblical love, not man's love. Man's love is perverted, can be twisted and warped, shallow, fickle, empty. But love of God and the Bible love, biblical love, is something completely different. And the love of God is also, and it's not popular in many church circles today, especially charismatic circles. It's bound up inextricably with the commandments of God. Without the commandments of God, we cannot show our love for God because his love then is not written on our hearts. The object of our aspect or that which we'll view is uh, the subject of it is love, and we must consider it from different angles. And we'll look at that this morning and God willing, uh, God wanting it next morning, Sunday morning as well. Biblical love, divine love, God's love is imparted love. You can't love like God unless God has imparted something into you. And if God has imparted something into you, then you will love like him. Because he is in your heart. This love, it has distinct features and elements. It's a, a, a visual love. There's no greater visual love than the love of God. There's no greater visual love than Christ on the cross. There's no greater visual for the whole world than Christ dying on the cross. And there's no greater visual love in this year, 2015, today, than Christians crucified to self and living for Christ. Showing their love for Christ and their love for him. So it's a visual love. It's a, it's a love with a unique characteristic that it's heavenly. When First John chapter 3 and verse 1, John says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The idea is what behold or look at this with elements of surprise. Behold what manner of love or behold what sort of foreign love the planet earth and to mankind is this when we look at Christ. That he would take someone like me, someone like you, someone who had a life like mine before I was saved and someone who lived a life like me and yet would make me a son of God, a child of God, adopted into his family and saved, forgiven. Someone like you, brother and you, sister. What sort of love is that? It's a love that, that loves an enemy. It's a love that has no bounds. It's everlasting. This message was confirmed to me this morning in our prayer meeting. Jim started to pray about it, and I thought of, at least, Lord, I'm, I'm, you're confirming the message this morning. This isn't a, a love where I, I've had a, if I could, if I had a, a pound, <clears throat> excuse me, for, if I had a pound coin for, Everyone who has told me how much they love me then has stabbed me or told me how much they've loved me yet have forsaken me. 
have told me how much they've loved me yet have left me or let me down, I wouldn't, I, I, I would, I would be able to buy a mansion by now. I'm sure you could too. But the love of God is a love that will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a love that will not let you go. It's an everlasting love and it's an, an eternal love. It's a love that's unique and characteristic. And so we must view it from every and from many particular directions that we can and know how to. Listen to a quotation from an old Puritan called Joseph Hall. He says, If my respects to my Savior be for loaves and the fishes, my heart is carried away with those baskets of fragments. But if I can love God for his goodness sake, this love shall outlast time. I want to say it again. I thought it was tremendous when I read that. If my respects to my Savior be for the loaves and the fishes, my heart is carried away with those baskets of fragments. But if I can love God for his goodness sake, this love shall outlast time. In other words, this is a true love. It's a real love. If we love God for whom he is, not for what he gives. We must ask ourselves two questions, brothers and sisters. First of all, do we love the Lord Jesus for only what he gives? For only what he does or how he answers our prayers and satisfies our own needs and wants? And what if he doesn't answer our prayers our way? How we wanted him to? or thought he should have. Do we love him for whom he is? Do we still love him? Or do we love the Lord Jesus for what he gives us? There's a big difference. Secondly, if we get our request when it is expected, as we expected it, as we get our prayers answered the very way we asked of it, Does our heart leave Christ and go with the gift? Does our heart leave him and go with the gift of the loaves and the fishes, the baskets of fragments? Because there's times when we pray for so much and pray for certain things, and when God answers prayers, our prayer goes with, our our heart goes with the the prayer request that's been answered. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 here, the Lord says, When you come into the place that you have desired that I have already ordained for you into the land, he says, and you get your houses that you did not build, and the houses filled with the goods that you didn't fill it with, and the vineyards that you didn't plant. He says, when you've eaten it all, and, and you're filled, and you've, you're satisfied, and now you're comfortable. Now you're comfortable, he says. There's something... Israel, you must remember. Verse 12 of our reading, he says, Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord. Notice that. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee up, thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. The Lord is saying it's a natural thing for a human being to pray with fervency, to ask with fervency, to pray and keep on praying, to ask and keep on asking for the Lord 
to, to meet their need, to answer prayer, then when we get it, we may have been eating, as it were, the altar rails. We've been laying on our face. We've been prostrate before the Lord. We've been up during the night watches, and we've been seeking his face in prayer. And those times when God gives exactly as we have asked it, and has answered that prayer, we forget him and our heart goes because our request has already been answered and our wills and our wants have already been fulfilled. And then God is forgotten about and the prayer life backs off and we don't pray anymore. The Lord says, Israel, when you get what you are expecting and you're in abundance of blessing, don't forget the Lord. How many of us have made vows unto God and deferred to pay it. How many of us, when there's been a sick child in the house, Lord, if my child's all right, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do the other thing and I'll give this up and I'll go here, I'll go there. And then when the Lord answers the prayer, we defer to pay it, that which we have vowed unto him. We have forgotten the one who has blessed us and given us what we had requested. So one, do we love the Lord for what he gives us or for who he is? Do we love him when we're feeling good and don't love him when we're not feeling good? Do we love him when we're happy and not so much when we're sad? Brothers and sisters, let us always be mindful and be aware for we're all guilty of this that we would praise the Lord and be in fellowship with him as much on the mountaintop and in his, his presence seeking his face as much as we were when we were in the valley on our face on the floor requesting our needs to be met. We must never give up. We must never give up on seeking his face. What if God doesn't answer the way you thought, the way you wanted I've had prayers recently and it wasn't answered the way I wanted. But I still love the Lord. I prayed for loved ones and had faith that they took their last breath and said, now, Lord, you can raise them up. And they weren't. They went on. They passed away. But I still love the Lord. I still love him. I don't love him because of his healing power. I don't love him because of his giftings. I love him because he first loved me. I love him because he first loved me. Does our hearts go with the loaves and the fish? (laughs) Makes me think of the ten lepers that were cleansed by the Lord Jesus, and we're told that only one returned to give thanks. And the rest of the nine, when they got their cleansing, they forgot Christ. Are we an assembly that many of us, some of us, one or two of us, all of us, have we recently forgotten him? Have we forgotten the one who has given so much to us, but forgotten the person of Christ? So do we love Jesus for who he is? For if he doesn't answer our ways, will we continue in real love to him? For that is the love, as the Puritan says. 
That is the love that will outlast time. If you want to turn with me to the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, please. There's two verses in chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. And the Song of Solomon is really, it's typified in Solomon and the Shulamite girl who's in the field. Solomon, the Shulamite girl, she's poor. He's the great king. She's in raggedy clothes. He's in the riches of the palace. He's dressed in, in furs, sumptuously as it was. He comes down, as it were, to, through the fields one day, and he sees this raggedy, poor, dirty girl working in the field, and he raises her up from the dirt, brings her to his banqueting house, into his palace. He washes her. He cleans her. He clothes her. And she says, I was as the tents of Kedar. In other words, they, they were uh, a, a traveling tents which which um, men used, they put them up and they were weather-beaten, they were dirty, they were dusty, they were beaten with the sands of the dunes and of the deserts, uh, and they were taken down and moved somewhere else, and they wore thin and pale and washed out looking. And this girl now in the palace says, this is who I was, this is what I was like, these old battered, tattered, torn and faded tents. But now in the palace under the authority and under the protection of the great King Solomon. She looks at these curtains one day, hanging down in their illustrious glory, and she says, I am as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon, because he has taken her in. He has loved her. He has washed her from her dirty filthiness. He has blessed her. He's brought her to his table, to his banqueting house. He's fed her. He's clothed her. He's done everything she's ever wanted. And the Song of Solomon is about the change of life. Here it is, Solomon is Shulamite, and the spiritual context was Yahweh to Israel, or, or if you want, Christ that is redeemed now at the moment. To you and I, Christ singing to us, and us singing back to Christ as we read this. Notice the love relationship here. She sings in Song of Solomon 8, verse 6 and 7, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, Notice, she doesn't want to be removed ever from him. She knows the love he had for her. She knew the blessing he gave her, and she knew that he alone could rescue her, and her love, her love was just for him. She's fallen in love with this king who she could never attain to, who never thought was anywhere near her reach or her grasp, and such as you and I in Christ in the world and in our sin and in our, our depravity and in our filthiness of the world. And Christ, our great Solomon, Jesus said in his day, a greater than Solomon is here speaking of himself. He comes along and he rescues us from the world and from our sin and from ourselves. Clothes us with his righteousness, washes us in his blood, sets us in his church, brings us into his own body, as it were, the, 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 the mystical body of Christ on earth, made up of his believers. And so we fall in love with him. And when we fall in love with him, we have the song to sing, set me as a seal upon thine heart. Notice where the seal is, first of all on the heart, as a seal upon thine arm. Now some people say this is uh, the high priest of Israel going into the Holy of Holies, where they wore the breastplate of judgment with the twelve uh, precious stones on it with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And they were in judgment hanging around the high priest's uh, breast. And, and some say the word arm can mean shoulders here, where the names were also engraven on the shoulders, where he carries them in government and he carries them in his heart. And he goes into the holy place and sprinkles blood and the glory of God came down in the Old Testament. 
And some say she's, she's thinking of this and saying, if you, if you bring me to the most holy places, or if you bring me into the most privileged places in you, she says, then seal me in your heart and I'll, it'll go for eternity. Seal me on your shoulders and govern over me the way only you can. Look after me and protect me because I need your love. I need you. I can't live without you. And here's a question for us. Can we live without Christ? Can you, brother, sister, can you live without him? I can't live without him. I don't want to live without him. In fact, I want to live with more of him. She says, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. Notice this, for love is as strong as death. Notice this, love is as strong as death. Jealousy as cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. Now notice, I want to break this down. First of all, for love is strong as death. Think about that. There are families that aren't here this morning because they're in mourning this past week. There was another family thrown into mourning this week and buried a loved one on Wednesday. I'll tell you about them later. One last Sunday over there, and there's another one the Sunday before here. They're in mourning at the minute. And many are still in mourning, but yet many have lost loved ones, whether it was this week, last week, month, or week, or year, two, three, four, five years ago. And we find that although death has claimed them in that sense where the grave has taken them, yet your love still remains for them. Your love is as strong as that thing. It won't leave you alone. It doesn't go away. My love for my loved ones won't leave me alone. It won't go away. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's so strong you wish it wasn't. And here they're they're looking at the strength of death, which means none of us save Christ returning. None of us will be able to dodge death None of us will miss this appointment that is appointed on demand once to die. But after this, the judgment, we're told, there's an appointment we'll all have. And none of us, that's how strong it is. And, and, and there's always room in the ground for every one of us. And death enlarges itself to be able to take it all. But now the Shulamite says, see as strong as it is. And it, 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 it's going to take everything. Everything will die. You see how strong that is? Well, so strong is your love for me, she's singing. And I need to be sealed in your heart because if I'm sealed in your heart, then I know that I'm in your love. And if I'm in your love, then I know that I'll be okay. And brothers and sisters, when you're in Christ, you're sealed on the Father's heart. When you have given your life wholly, fully, totally, uniquely, and completely to Christ, when you have surrendered and repented yourself, and you've come under the fountain of blood, and and you're filled with the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, He seals you. And when you're sealed, you're sealed with the heart of the Father. 
You're sealed for time and for eternity. And though death may claim its victims, yet you and I will live in God. We will live in Christ. And that love will never let us go. And the Sulamite here is singing. We are singing to Christ. Love is as strong as death. The word strong mean can be also termed as fierce. Fierce, mighty, and fortified. Notice this. The word here for fierce, mighty, uh, fortified, or strong, it gives the idea that God is fiercely in love with his people. God is mightily in love for you and fortifies you when you're in his son. Fortifies his love that even death itself cannot take you from the Father's hand. Cannot drag you from the Father's breast. Cannot tear you from the Father's heart. You're sealed, sealed with the Holy Ghost. Sealed unto the day of redemption. You're sealed for time and you're sealed for all eternity. Notice this. For love is as strong as, as strong as death. Notice jealousy as cruel as the grave. Think of the cruelty. This is how the Bible is showing us. There, there, there's uh, pluses and minuses. There's, uh, there's many words that are in a good content text and a bad context. And the Bible is showing us something here. The Holy Spirit is showing us that, that there's a good context and a bad. And if we can look at the bad, which we tend to always fix on, we tend to always focus on and look at, then when we look at the good that is in God, we see who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, what he's done for us and accomplished. It says here, jealousy is cruel as a grave. And I know there's a bad sense of jealousy where jealousy has even led to murder a husband over a wife, or even a wife over a husband. I know jealousy it can be a bad thing where men uh, overlord their wives and won't let them look to the left or the right, or vice versa. But the jealousy here is a jealousy of love. It means zeal. Zeal is as cruel as the grave. The cruelty of the grave, lowering the loved one down, that breaks the heart. The yearning, the mourning, the drawing off it, the, uh, that part which makes you want to collapse at your knees, that part that makes you melt inside, that part that makes you want to scream and want to run away, but you can't get away from it, it's continually with you, and it's visualized and burned in you. That part, that, oh, that, that cruelty of it, the, bere- the bereavement of being torn from the loved one, the hurt of it and the pain it causes is a way past being able to explain. I just spoke to one of them uh, this week and I went out to visit and it says about them in their mourning and, and it says, of, uh, this is the first I've ever lost someone so close to me and I, I hear about it, I talk about it. So it even says, I've seen you go through so much in your family in the last couple of years. It says, but you know what? I never knew it would feel like this. It has to be experienced and when it's experienced, it's... cruel. It's cruel. And here it says that jealousy is as cruel as the grave. In the good tense it is that when we see that 
that strength and that passion of the grave that causes us to yearn and to be bereft so much. We look at God and we see his love is not only in equal but is in greater measure. God's zeal, the zeal of his love, it gives the idea of an ardent love, a love that's so ardent that God steps in the way when the devil tries to claim the soul of a redeemed saint, a child of God. God's love steps in the way and he ardently says, they're mine. They're mine. Brother, sister, in this life, the ardent love of God is still the same for you. He says, you're mine. You're mine. Lord, do you love me? He says, you're mine. Lord, do you care? You're mine. I love you. the same strength in which the Father hath loved his Son who hung on the cross, the preciousness of Christ is now imputed to his people. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, he said. Oh, how could we ever think to attain salvation outside of him? How could you ever even dream of it? What would... What makes a man and a woman as I once was? What makes us be so dead in our sins and our trespasses and so dead in heart uh, that we think we're okay as we are? Yet God placed all of this that you and I would be saved. Jealousy, the zeal, the ardent love of God is the same, only greater in power than the cruelty of a grave. One day, One day when Christ returns, he will call his own by name. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Such is the love of God that even the body that has went to the grave, the spirit has returned to God which gave it, but that body that's been planted, that body which has been uh, uh, sealed by the soil, that body may be there, but the spirit is sealed in the heart of God. And that day when Christ returns, he will call us. And we will rise. He'll not forget us. We're sealed in his heart. He will not forget the body we see on his heart. It's as cruel as the grave. See the word cruel? Let me just give you an idea of this. It's a word kase, a Hebrew word kase, and it means fast and firm. What does that mean? The, the cruelty of the grave is fast and firm. They're dead, that's it. I've taken them, that's it. And the worst thing about someone in mourning is trying to get it into them for months and weeks and years that they're really gone. Mm-hmm. 
the cruelty of the grave comes like this. Let me just give you an explanation of this word. Kaseh. In Genesis 42 and verse 7, we have Joseph is in Egypt. You know, he goes to throw him in the pit. The Ishmaelites take him. Then he's bought and sold by, to the Ishmaelites. They take him and he goes to Egypt. He goes to Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife claims uh, that he tried to molest her. Uh, she, he runs away. She has his coat left in her hand and he's thrown into prison. He interprets the butler's uh, and the baker's dreams and then they forget him. Then remember, well, one is killed, the baker's killed, uh, executed and the, 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 the butler then remembers Joseph. When Pharaoh has a dream, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Now he's the prime minister of Egypt. Jacob sends the rest of his sons down to Egypt for corn, for there's a famine in the land. And Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. It says in Genesis 42 and 7 that Joseph, when he saw them, speak roughly. (laughs) It's the same word here for cruel. Cassette. He spoke cruel to his brethren. They didn't know him and he knew them. And he said in a rough, gruff, quick voice, Whence come ye? That's the way it goes. Who are you? Where are you coming from? That's where it reads. And his brothers not knowing him, this is the, the, the prime ministers that were of Egypt, they're afraid. This man could kill us. We're strangers in the land. The word is also used in Exodus 1 and 14, where Egypt made the lives of Israel bitter with hard bondage. The word here for hard, as in hard bondage, is the same again. It's kesed, and it means that it gives the idea of, of their bitterness was harsh. Their bitterness was hard. Their bitterness was so strange to them that nobody could ever imagine a bondage like this before. And again, it's mentioned when God calls Israel a stiff-necked people. He says they're hard, they're stiff-necked. That's it, very final. Won't listen to God's word. I hope there's no stiff-necked people in here this morning. And then there's Isaiah 48 and 4. Again, God described his people. He says, because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron, as iron sinew, and thy brow brass. It's the word he said, for obstinate. God says, you're saying, I'm sending you prophets. We will not listen. Now that's it. Stone the prophet. Kill the prophet. That's the idea of it. And God comes and he says, you were obstinate. You wouldn't listen. Your neck's like brass. You can't turn to here. You won't turn to me. He says, in your head, <laughs> he says, your bry is like brass and a, uh, your neck's like iron. So here is the idea of this word cruel. And the jealousy of God is as cruel. The, 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 the love, the, the zeal of God's love is like that's only in a good sense. <laughs> so when uh, someone, something spiritual, uh, past, present, future, angel, demon, principality, power, um, physical, spiritual, natural, supernatural, no matter what it may be, even yourself tries to unplug yourself and to tear you away from Christ. His 
zealous, jealous love for you stands in the way and says, they're mine! That's the way it goes. Now that's it! Understand, when you're in Jesus, when you are his, he says, they're mine! And that's it. Sovereignty, brothers and sisters, does not negate, nor does it diminish human responsibility. We'll look at it next week. Let me finish this, and we'll wrap it up, and we'll look at it, God willing, next week. In verse 7, many waters cannot quench love. Many waters cannot quench or extinguish love. Neither can the floods drown it. The word drown means... You can't inundate it until it's overwhelmed and overflowing. You can't wash away the love of God. Nothing in our lives, nothing that you've even done. Nothing. Look, brothers and sisters, I love my children, and I know you love yours. And I can tell you this, see my children, there may be things that I'm displeased at, There may be things that I just do not like what they've done or there may be things that they've said or whatever it may be and they may need corrected. You may need to correct yours. No naughty step. Naughty slap. And whenever we do, does it mean that we don't love them? Absolutely not. Love them. In fact, you correct them because you love them. You chastise them because you love them. And if you don't love them, or you don't chastise them, then you're not showing true love to them. Because their lives will go a mess. Notice this. God's love for us will never be inundated, washed away, overwhelmed, or overcome. He has a fervent zeal. Now, this is real love that will outlast time. This is a real love that will outlast time. And then he says in verse 7, If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. It means, in other words, if you and I were to try and pay for love, it would be despised by God. The general thought is this, if I do this, or if I go here, or if I do that, or I do the other thing, I will earn God's love. Brothers and sisters, you cannot earn God's love. You can't earn it. He freely gives it, but you can't receive it. There's nothing you and I can do this morning that will cause him to love us more than he already has from eternity past. Because, you see, we measure God's love and how we love. We love people when they're good to us or when they're nice to us. No, no, no. We don't love them then. We love what they do for us. We actually love them no matter where they give to us or don't give to us, do for us or don't do for us. That's the difference. That's the difference. 
That's the loaves and the fishes. That's the fragments in the baskets where our love goes with the answered prayer and the person who done it is soon forgot. Listen, if you were, and many of us, maybe all of us, have ministered into someone's life, especially when you're in this position, I've ministered into many lives. I've, I've broke my back. I've bent over backwards for people. I've tried to love them through situations. I've been there in the most intimate of moments and they've stabbed me as soon as they got a chance. Yet they proclaim their undying love for me. no. They love the benefit, but not the person. You know why? Because if you love somebody, you love them warts and all. You love them when they're in their good times and their bad times. And Lord willing, next week, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, where love takes legs, where charity will suffer long and so on. And it's read around the the marriage sort of ceremony usually. And and, and that's okay to, to read that around there. But really, this love should be for the church. We must not just love in word, but also in deed. And if you and I try to earn God's love, it will be just deemed as insignificant. Insignificant. God has set his love on those whom he hath known and chosen from before the foundation of the world. That's not my fault. And it's not yours, but I thank him that I'm one of the many. We can give nothing either for our salvation, for what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, you're more valuable than all this world can ever offer for you. You're more valuable than all this world could ever offer for you. So, Puritan Joseph Hall tells us this love, This is real love will outlast time. God's love will outlast time. This is real love. This is divine love. This is biblical love. And it's imparted love. We'll find out next week where you and I are to love the Lord and you and I are to love one another. Warts and all. Doesn't say you have to like one another. It's a different matter. It's a different matter. They love one another.